The Salem witch hunts of 1692 were one of many witch hunts that occurred in a period of unrest between the early 14th century and the late 18th century, beginning in Europe. Belief in the supernatural, and specifically the belief in the devil's practice of giving some humans the power to harm others in return for their loyalty, spread throughout Europe and eventually to New England. Between 1692 and 1693, more than 200 people were accused of practicing witchcraft in Salem, and 20 people were executed. This included 14 women and 6 men, and 5 people were also died in jail while awaiting execution. The specific cause of the trials is unknown, however, people continue to speculate to this day. I'm Ashton, and welcome to The Haunted Corner. Welcome back to The Haunted Corner. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the Salem Witch Trials, which is something that I have always been interested in. I think it's awful what happened to these women and men. However, I think it's important to share the story. So let's get to it. In the late 17th century, roughly 10 miles inland from modern-day Salem, a small farming community of around 500 people known as Salem Village was facing its fair share of troubles. Salem Village was a very isolated community with a noticeable social divide, which was fueled by a rivalry between the two leading families in the village, the Putnams and the Porters. They mainly fought over the autonomy of the village and land disputes, but events during that time didn't help with this ongoing feud. Following a smallpox epidemic in 1689, the people of Salem Village were not handling things well, and tensions were at an all-time high. In addition to the smallpox epidemic, Salem had been overrun by refugees fleeing a war between England and France. They were also facing the fear of attack from neighboring Native American tribes. So here they were, battling an epidemic with little to no resources or medicine, dealing also with political disputes over land and church privileges, something was bound to come to a head. In Salem at the time, the residents lived very strict lives. Children were restricted from all forms of play and were only allowed to do chores or study the Bible. The Puritan religion was prominent at the time, and people began to believe that these issues the village was facing were caused by the devil. Women were thought to be more susceptible to damnation than men because they were more sinful and had loose tongues, which, yeah, I would definitely be out. In 1689, a merchant from Boston by way of Barbados named Samuel Paris became the pastor of the church in Salem Village. When he came to the village, he brought along his wife and their three daughters, as well as two enslaved people whose names were John and Tituba. In January of 1692, the daughter and niece of Samuel Paris, 9-year-old Elizabeth, or Betty Paris, and 11-year-old Abigail Williams, 
began to participate in fortune-telling, supposedly on the influence of the family slave, Tichuba. The girls then began displaying some very concerning behavior. The girls were said to have screamed, made noises, hid under furniture, contorted their bodies, and barked like dogs, which is like, check, 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 check. Honestly, kids are strange. They do strange things. Can confirm this sounds like a typical Tuesday for me when I was a kid. But this behavior was strange enough to draw attention, and the girl's father and uncle, Samuel Paris, called in a doctor named William Griggs. He was said to only be able to read, but he couldn't write. And after being unable to diagnose them with anything physically wrong with the girls, he diagnosed them both with bewitchment. The fear quickly spread throughout Salem Village after others began to display similar behavior. All of the afflicted were girls and were between the ages of 9 and 20 years old. After pressure from Samuel Paris, Elizabeth and Abigail accused Tichaba as well as two other women named Sarah Osborne and Sarah Good of bewitching them. Sarah Good was a pregnant, homeless woman whose young daughter Dorothy, whose name I also read as Dorcas, was also accused of practicing witchcraft and became the youngest person to be accused in the Salem witch trials at age five people. Five years old. (laughs) Sarah Osborne was also accused of witchcraft by Abigail and Elizabeth. She was accused as well by a woman named Elizabeth Hubbard, who claimed that it felt like she was poking her with knitting needles. Now, Osborne had stirred up some trouble previously when, after her first husband, Robert, passed away. Robert, whose brother-in-law was Captain John Putnam, And after her husband had died, she then hired an Irish indentured servant named Andrew Osborne and would eventually pay off his indenture and marry him, which is where she got her name of Sarah Osborne. She eventually took over the land of her first husband for herself and her new husband, which pissed off her brother-in-law. And it caused some legal issues for Sarah and John Putnam was inevitably involved in those legal issues. So this is a bad time to be a Sarah, am I right? It was a bad time to be anyone in Salem. (laughs) On March 1st, two magistrates from Salem Town, John Hawthorne and John Corwin, went to the village to conduct a public inquiry. Both Sarah Osborne and Sarah Good maintained their innocence with Good claiming that she was no more a witch than the judge was a wizard. Now, Tichaba, however, eventually confessed and said that she had been visited by the devil and had made a deal with him. She claimed, quote, the devil came to me and bid me serve him, end quote. She described an encounter with a tall, dark man who had called to her to sign his book. She also claims that she saw both Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne's names in the book, as well as the names of seven others that she could not read. She went on to claim that she saw visions of animals and the devil told her to hurt the children or he would kill her. She said, quote, I must serve him six years and then he would give me many fine things, end quote. It said that she signed her deal with the devil in blood. Now, Tichuba's story did change a lot over time and she eventually retracted her confession completely and pointed the finger at her master as being the one who bullied her into confessing. 
Samuel Paris was thought by some to have influenced the trials for his own socio-political gain as he was losing popularity within the community at the time. It was Tituba's confession that propelled the witch trials forward. The magistrates quickly accepted the confession and now believe they also had evidence to prove their theory based on the fact that many other women began displaying the same behaviors as Abigail and Elizabeth. These women included Anne Putnam Jr., her mother, her cousin, Mary Walcott, and the Putnam servant, Mercy Lewis. What's more is that now the individuals who were being accused of being witches were no longer just the outsiders of the town. They were upstanding members of the community, beginning with Rebecca Nurse, Martha Corey, and several others. So they were just accusing anyone. They were pointing their fingers at their grandmother, the baker, the woman down the street who looked at them funny one time. And it was eventually clear that many of the accused were enemies of the Putnam family. Who would have thought? (laughs) Never trust a Putnam. Some of the tests that were performed on the accused witches included the swimming test. This was when the accused were dragged to a body of water, stripped and hogtied with ropes, then thrown in the water to see if they would sink or float. Witches were believed to have rebuffed the Christian sacrament of baptism, so it was thought that they that the water would reject them, forcing them to float to the surface, where the innocent would sink to the bottom. Another test was one where they would check the accused witches for witches' marks or devil's marks. These marks were said to have been moles or blemishes, and they were said to be the mark of Satan, sort of like a branding. Pricking was the method used to test if one of these moles or blemishes was indeed a devil's mark. The theory was that if the area in question did not bleed or cause pain to the suspected witch, when a small, sharp instrument pierced it, then it was a genuine article and proof of a pact with the devil. The prayer test was another test that was performed, and it was pretty popular. It forced the accused to recite prayer and claim that no agent of the devil would be able to pray to God or read from the Bible without tripping over the holy words. After weeks of informal hearings and imprisonment of over 200 people, on May 27, 1962, the governor of Massachusetts Bay Colony, Sir William Phipps, stepped in and ordered the convening of an official court of Oyer and Terminer in Salem Town. The court was presided over by the colony's lieutenant governor, William Stoughton, and it consisted of seven judges. Those who were accused were forced to defend themselves without counsel, and those who confessed or who confessed and named, the, and named other witches were spared the court's justice. The evidence was presented with the most damning being that of spectral evidence, which refers to the description of harm committed by the specters of the accused. One example of spectral evidence used in the trial is when Anne Putnam accused Rebecca Nurse by saying, quote, I saw the apparition of Rebecca Nurse, and she did immediately affect me, end quote. Spectral evidence was also used against a woman named Bridget Bishop, with many men claiming that she had visited them in spectral form in the middle of the night. As the accused testified on the witness stand, the girls and young women who had accused them whimpered and babbled and kind of like moved around like they were in pain, which seemingly provided evidence of the specter's demonic presence in the court. It's also said that one of the accusers, Betty Hubbard, was known to go into trances during the proceedings. Like, come on, Betty, you don't need to be so dramatic. (laughs) 
The only time that the spectral evidence was deemed inadmissible was when it was used to accuse the governor's wife, Mary. So to protect his wife, Governor Phipps stepped in to stop the trials. Convenient. And I can just picture him going, and see. <laughs> you know what, guys? I think we got all the witches. We don't, we don't need to test anybody anymore. We don't need to interview anyone else. We got them all, I think. You know what, Elliot? Elliot, bring the horses around. I think we're done here. We got all the witches. <laughs> but really, he only stepped in and stopped the trials after his wife was accused. Come on. Bridget Bishop was the first of the defendants to be convicted on June 2nd, and this was not her first rodeo. She had already been accused and found innocent of witchcraft 12 years earlier. On June 10th, she was hanged on what became known as Proctor's Ledge in Salem Village. On July 19th, five more convicted people were hanged, including Rebecca Nurse, Sarah Wilds, Susanna Martin, Elizabeth Howe, and Sarah Good. Good had given birth to a baby girl named Mercy before she was hanged. However, the baby died shortly after birth. George Burroughs, a Harvard-educated man who had served as a minister in Salem Village from 1680 to 1683, was summoned from his new home in Maine and accused of being the witch's ringleader. He, too, was convicted and, along with four others, was hanged on August 19th. On September 22nd, Eight more of the convicted were hanged, including Martha Corey, whose elderly husband, Giles, was pressed beneath heavy stones for two days until he died after refusing to take a plea. An additional five people died in jail, including Sarah Osborne, who died on May 29, 1692. But it is mentioned that that number could be as many as 13 people who had died in prison. It varies from which source you read. Now, those who were accused, convicted, and executed were Bridget Bishop, who was 39. She was a widow who lived in Salem. She had a bad reputation for her frequent run-ins with the law and because she had previously been accused of witchcraft. She was hanged on June 10th on what would become known as Proctor's Ledge in Salem Village. Sarah Good was 39. She was one of the first people to be accused of witchcraft in Salem. She was pregnant at the time that she was accused, and she gave birth in prison to a baby girl who died in prison before her mother was hanged. Sarah Good was brought to trial on June 29th and was executed on July 19, 1692. Elizabeth Howe was 57. She lived in Topsfield and was the wife of a farmer. Like Bishop, she had previously been accused of bewitching a local girl. She was brought to trial on June 29th and executed on July 19th. Susanna Martin was 71. She was a poor widow who lived in Amesbury at the time of the Salem witch trials. She had also been accused of witchcraft previously, and in her previous cases, she was accused of infanticide and tormenting people with her specter. The charges were eventually dropped or dismissed, and she was accused of witchcraft by the afflicted girls in the spring of 1692 and was taken to Salem Village. She was brought to trial on June 29th and executed on July 19, 1692. Rebecca Nurse was also 71. She was a pious and popular woman who had a long-standing feud with the Putnam family over border boundaries between their adjoining lands. She also disapproved of the controversial appointment of Samuel Paris as the new Salem Village minister. 
The Putnams were Rebecca Nurse's main accusers during the witch trials, and many of them testified against her. Rebecca Nurse was originally found not guilty at the end of her trial in late June, but when the verdict was read out loud in the court, the afflicted girls protested and the jury was asked to reconsider its decision. The jury reconsidered and came back with a guilty verdict. Rebecca was executed on July 19, 1692. Sarah Wilds was 65. She lived in Topsfield and was the wife of a local judge, John Wilds. She had somewhat of a bad reputation due to previous brushes with the law. In 1649, she was accused of fornicating out of wedlock with Thomas Wardwell. And in 1663, she was accused of wearing a silk scarf. <gasps> My stars. Shortly after the Salem witch hunt began in March of 1692, the Putnam family accused Sarah Wilds of witchcraft, and she was arrested in April. John Wilde's daughter from a previous marriage and son-in-law, Sarah and Edward Bishop, were also arrested, as was John's other daughter, Phoebe Wilds. Sarah Wilds was brought to trial on June 29th and executed on July 19th, 1692. Reverend George Burroughs was 41. He was the only Puritan minister to be accused during the witch trials. He was asked to serve as the new minister in Salem Village in 1680, the residents of Salem disagreed over his appointment as minister, and he was not always paid his salary. He often borrowed money from the Putnam family to support his family. When he stopped being paid altogether, he left Salem and returned to Maine. At some point, the Putnam family sued Burroughs for his failure to repay his debt and shortly after accused him of witchcraft. Like, come on, guys, really? Burroughs was arrested, brought to trial on August 5th, and executed on August 19th, 1692. As he stood on the gallows, he recited the Lord's Prayer perfectly, something no witch was thought to be capable of doing. This raised doubts about his guilt for some that were in attendance. Now, Martha Carrier was 33. She was the niece of outspoken opponent of the Salem Witch Trials, Reverend Francis Dean of Andover. She was also the sister of accused witch Mary Toothaker of Bilirica. She was the first person in Andover accused during the Salem, the Salem witch trials. She was accused by her neighbor, Benjamin Abbott, after the two had a dispute over land and Abbott immediately fell ill. Her children were also accused and were coerced into testifying against her. Carrier was brought to trial on August 5th and executed on August 19th, 1692. John Willard was in his 30s. He was a deputy constable and one of the first people to speak out against of the witch trials. And this dude sounded like he was pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. I mean, he kind of sucked at the beginning, but he came around. So he initially helped to arrest the accused. However, be he began to doubt that so many people could be witches and eventually quit his job in protest. Willard was accused of witchcraft by Ann Putnam Jr., who also accused him of beating her baby sister to death. He was accused a second time by his wife's grandfather, Bray Wilkins, after Wilkins fell ill upon receiving a cross look from Willard in May of 1692. Just a few days later, Bray's grandson, Daniel Wilkins, was found dead, his body bloody and beaten, and according to court records, quote, to the best of our judgments, we cannot but apprehend but that he died an unnatural death by some cruel hands of witchcraft or diabolical act, end quote. 
an arrest warrant was issued for John Willard, but he had already fled Salem Village. A second arrest warrant was issued, and Willard was hunted down and arrested in Nashua, New Hampshire. During his examination at Beatles Tavern in Salem Town, the incident with Bray Wilkins and Daniel Wilkins was brought up, and the Wilkins family also accused Willard of beating his wife. Several confessed witches testified against Willard, as well as afflicted girl Anne Putnam Jr., shocker, who testified that she saw many ghosts of people Willard allegedly killed. John Willard was brought to trial on August 5th and executed on August 19, 1692. John Jacobs Sr., who was 72, was accused by several people during the Salem Witch Trials, including his own granddaughter, Margaret Jacobs. The first person who accused him was his servant, Sarah Churchill, who also accused his granddaughter, Margaret. His son, George, was also accused, but he was able to evade arrest. Many people testified against John Jacobs Sr., including almost all of the members of the Putnam family. Shocker. He was found guilty on August 5th and executed on August 19, 1692. Jacob's family reportedly retrieved his body from the execution site and buried him on the family property. John Proctor was 61. He was a wealthy farmer who lived on the outskirts of Salem Village. He had publicly condemned the witch trials and had punished his female servants for claiming to be possessed by witches and spirits in the hysteria of the day. After his wife, Elizabeth Proctor, was arrested on charges of witchcraft in April of 1692, the afflicted girls turned on John and accused him as well. John Proctor's entire family was eventually arrested on charges of witchcraft. John wrote a letter to the Boston clergy in July asking that they intervene or move the trials to Boston. The clergy responded, but it was too late to save Proctor, who was brought to trial on August 5th and executed on August 19, 1692. His remaining family members were either never charged or found guilty and pardoned. Proctor's body was reportedly also retrieved from the execution site and secretly buried on his farm. Alice Parker, whose age was unknown, was a pious and honest woman. Parker had a reputation for clairvoyance and on one occasion successfully predicted that a friend's husband had died at sea. In May of 1692, afflicted girl Mary Warren suddenly accused Alice Parker of witchcraft. During Parker's trial, Warren had made several surprising accusations against her, claiming Parker bewitched her mother to death, made her sister ill, and drowned several men and boys in the sea, including a man named Thomas Wastegate and his entire crew who drowned after their ship sank. Alice Parker was brought to trial on September 9th and executed on September 22, 1692. Mary Parker, who was approximately 40, was a widow from Andover. She was first named a witch by William Barker Jr. and was accused of afflicting Martha Sprague. It's not known why Parker was accused, but she stated during her examination that there was another woman in Andover named Mary Parker, and she suggested that it was a case of mistaken identity. Martha Sprague then stated that the woman in front of her was the woman who afflicted her. Mary Parker was brought to trial on September 17th and executed on September 22nd, 1692. Anne Pudeter was 70 years old. She worked as a nurse and midwife while living in Salem. She had a reputation for being sharp-tongued and often quarreled with the locals. Same girl. Pudeter was accused of witchcraft in May of 1692 by Sarah Churchill and several other afflicted girls of the Salem village. 
Some of her medical supplies, such as foot ointments, were confiscated and introduced to the court as objects of the occult. Like, is this reminding anyone of Outlander or just me? Pudatur was brought to trial on September 9th and executed on September 22nd, 1692. Wilmot Reed, whose age was unknown, like many others, had been previously accused of witchcraft. She was an unpopular person around town because she often quarreled with others and had an abrasive personality. Like, maybe they just caught her on a bad day, honestly. Red's daughter was the wife of fellow accused witch, Reverend George Burroughs. Red was accused of witchcraft in May of 1692 by the Salem Village Afflicted Girls and brought to Ingersoll Tavern in Salem Village for her examination. She had never met the afflicted girls before, and when asked why they were afflicted, she stated that they were in a, quote, sad condition, end quote. She was indicted, and several Marblehead residents testified against her. Red was brought to trial in September and executed on September 22, 1692. Margaret Scott was 77 years old. She was a widow from Raleigh who had seven children, only three of whom survived childhood. She became unpopular with her neighbors after her husband died, and she was forced to beg her neighbors for help to survive. Scott was accused by two of Raleigh's most notable families, the Wilcoms and the Nelsons. A member of the Nelson family also sat on the grand jury that convicted her. Scott was brought to trial on September 17th and executed on September 22nd, 1692. Samuel Wardwell was 49. He was also a well-known fortune teller and practitioner of English folk magic, as well as a carpenter from Andover. It's believed that his work in the occult led to his witchcraft accusation. Wardwell was accused in September of 1692 and arrested and jailed in Salem. Shortly after, his wife and daughters were also arrested. During his examination, he admitted to fortune-telling and dabbling in magic and said that the devil may have taken advantage of him for these reasons. He then confessed to making a pact with the devil, but later recanted his confession. Wardwell was brought to trial in mid-September and executed on September 22, 1692. Now Martha Corey was 72. She lived in the outskirts of Salem Village and was the wife of wealthy farmer Giles Corey. Corey had a reputation for being a pious member of the community, despite the well-known fact that she had a child out of wedlock in the 1670s. Martha Corey was also an outspoken critic of the Salem witch trials and stated many times that the afflicted girls were liars. During her own examination, she told the judge, quote, we must not believe all that these distracted children say, end quote. Martha was brought to trial on September 9th and executed on September 22, 1692, just three day days after her husband Giles had been tortured to death for refusing to enter a plea. Mary Eastie was 58. She was the sister of accused witches Rebecca Nurse and Sarah Coyce. She lived in Topsfield and was considered a pious, well-respected member of the community. In April of 1692, Mary Eastie was accused of witchcraft, arrested, but then was released in May. She was accused again a few days after her release and arrested. She was re-examined and indicted on two charges of witchcraft. Eastie was brought to trial on September 9th and executed on September 22, 1692. 
Now, Giles Corey was 71 years old. He was a wealthy farmer who lived on the outskirts of Salem Village with his wife. He had a reputation for being an angry, violent man and was once charged with murdering his farmhand in 1676. He was found guilty but only suffered a fine for his actions. Many locals, including Thomas Putnam, suspected Corey had paid a bribe for his freedom. In April of 1692, Giles Corey was accused of witchcraft after his wife, Martha Corey, had also been accused and arrested on the same charge. Giles Corey refused to enter a plea in an attempt to prevent his case from going to trial. He reportedly knew that he was going to die either in jail or on the gallows and wanted to avoid being convicted before he did because he didn't want to lose his land. As a result, Giles Corey was tortured for three days in a field on Howard Street in Salem Town in in an attempt to force a plea out of him. He died on the third day of his torture on September 19, 1692. There were five people who died in prison while awaiting execution, although this number has been disputed. Their names are Sarah Osborne, Marcy Good, Roger Toothaker, Lyndia Dustin, and Ann Foster. There were six women who were found guilty and pardoned. Their names are Elizabeth Proctor, Abigail Faulkner Sr., Mary Post, Sarah Wardwell, Elizabeth Johnson Jr., and Dorcas Hoare. There were four women who pled guilty and were pardoned. Their names are Rebecca Ames, Abigail Hobbs, Mary Lacey Sr., and Mary Osgood. There were many others who were arrested and never indicted. The bodies of the executed were left in the crevice of the rocks at the execution site, and many of the families of the victims were tasked with gathering their bodies secretly at night for a proper burial. The accused who weren't executed often immediately lost their lands and were left with nothing. By October of 1692, Governor Phipps dissolved the court of Oyer and Terminer and mandated that its successor disregarded spectral evidence. Trials continued until early 1693, and by that May, Phipps had pardoned and released all those in prison on witchcraft charges. After Tituba's confession, she wasn't questioned again or even named in the witch trials. In May of 1693, she finally went to trial for covenanting with the devil after spending 15 months in prison. The jury declined to indict her, and she is said to have left Massachusetts with the person who'd paid her jail fees. It's claimed that she never saw the Paris family again, and she disappeared from the record at that point. She was the first to confess in the trials and the last to be released. In January of 1697, the General Court of Massachusetts declared a day of fasting and contemplation for the tragedy that had resulted from the trials. That month, Samuel Sewall, one of the judges, publicly acknowledged his own error and guilt in the proceedings. In 1702, the General Court declared that the trials had been unlawful. And in 1706, Ann Putnam Jr. apologized for her role as an accuser. 22 of the 33 individuals who had been convicted were exonerated in 1711 by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. The families were then paid a small sum of money for restitution. In 1957, the state of Massachusetts formally apologized for the trials. At the 300th anniversary events in 1992 to commemorate the victims of the trials, a park was dedicated in Salem and a memorial in Danvers. For years, tourists visiting Salem were directed to the wrong site, which was thought to be where the executions took place, also known as Gallows Hill. 
Years later, it was verified that the actual site was just below Gallows Hill. In January 2016, the University of Virginia announced its Gallows Hill project team had determined the correct execution site in Salem where the 19 accused had been hanged. The city dedicated the Proctor's Ledge Memorial to the victims there in 2017. Proctor's Ledge is named for the grandson of John Proctor, one of the victims who bought the land knowing its history. The site is said to be extremely haunted to this day. There is a YouTube special from BuzzFeed Unsolved called The Haunting of the Salem Witch Trials, and they performed a paranormal investigation at the site as well as the home of one of the judges on the case, and it was really awesome, and it was really informational. So I will post the link to that in the show notes and on the blog for you guys to check it out. The town really leans into the history, and witch tourism gave Salem the moniker of Witch City a major economic driver that local officials have long said they value. Even the police department's logo includes a witch, which I think is awesome. Every Halloween, as many as 250,000 people visit for the event called Haunted Happenings. People dress as zombies and witches, family take, families take ghost tours and wander around a psychic fair, costume balls, and film festivals, which are all run by a public private partnership called Destination Salem. Some of the speculated causes of the Salem witch trials include a hallucinogenic fungi called ergot, which can be found in wheat and rye and is known to cause convulsions, vertigo, muscle contractions, hallucinations, and pinching sensations. It's theorized that the fungi could have been responsible for the behavior of the bewitched, and the weather during this time in Salem was the perfect condition for ergot to grow. Other theories about the cause include mass hysteria, as well as the cold weather streak that Salem had experienced at that time. That year, it was one of the coldest winters on record, and some speculate that this contributed to the events surrounding the trials. Ultimately, we will never know the true cause but many people continue to speculate about what exactly occurred in the coastal town of Salem in 1692. The town has not and will never forget what happened. Let me know what you guys think caused it. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Haunted Corner. The sources will be listed in the show notes and also on the blog post for the episode at www.thehauntedcorner.com. Check out the other episodes of The Haunted Corner available now wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For early access to next week's episodes, please visit patreon.com slash thehauntedcorner and join at the $5 per month level. Not only will you support our growing podcast, you'll have access to upcoming episodes one week early, Patreon-exclusive content, access to our private Patreon-only Facebook group, as well as an exclusive The Haunted Corner sticker, and more. Follow us on social media at The Haunted Corner on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. If you have a case suggestion or correction, please send it to thehauntedcorner at gmail.com or submit it through the website. Until next time, be kind and take care of yourselves, and we will see you next week. Bye. <music>